Father in heaven, apart from the work of our Savior Jesus alone, we could not bring you praise. We couldn't, this side of heaven, anticipate the day where we will hear that amen forever with all the saints and all the angels. Father, we have so much to look forward to and so much to trust in now. You have given us everything, everything that we need in Jesus alone. The Holy Spirit, who he promised to send, is with us. The Holy Spirit, even now, is going to illuminate these words, feed our souls, save people from their sins, sanctify us and make us more like our Savior Jesus. And none of that could happen apart from who you are, Christ, and the work that you have done and the work that you are doing. Lord, we thank you for who you are and who, <clears throat> who we are in you. Bless this time in your holy word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna be reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter six, beginning at verse 45, to remind you of the context. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, it says, so likely there were several thousand more women and children present. And Jesus took the small amount of fish and loaves and multiplied them so much so that the disciples collected 12 basketfuls. 12 basketfuls were left over. If you're new to our church, that miracle is something we believe actually happened. And the miracles that we're about to see today, we believe actually happened. And that the God who did these things, performed these miracles, Jesus himself, calls us to himself to follow him. And this is what he gives us to help us. Mark 6, beginning at verse 45 through 56. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Children, as I preach today, I want you to listen for how many times I say, Jesus alone. Adults, I think you should listen to that too. I'm going to say it frequently, Jesus alone. 
In the story, in these 12 verses, we continue to see that Mark, the gospel writer, who is essentially writing what Peter is telling him to write, records this story. The purpose of Mark's gospel is to show us that Jesus is the radical king ushering in a new and radical kingdom. And discipleship at its essence is following him, following the person Jesus Christ. And as Mark begins to turn towards the middle parts of his gospel, really what begins to be the climax building towards Golgotha and the cross and the resurrection, he really in insists that we see that we don't see. That though we see and can be even close to Jesus, we can miss the reality of who he is and what he is really all about. In other words, you can be a person who's actually fed from his hand, even fed by this miracle, and still not truly understand. It says so about the disciples. They didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. What that means is they didn't get what God himself had just done. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at these significant moments, first in the life of Jesus, then in the life of the apostles, then in the lives of the crowds of people who are sick, who are being brought in. So let's begin with Jesus alone. The word tells us, Mark 6, 45, that immediately he made his disciples get in the boat. This is forceful language. This isn't language that says, hey, gentlemen, go get in the boat, go to the other side. It's forceful language. He made them get into the boat. But why? John 6 helps us here. The gospel writer John records this parallel text and he tells us what the crowd was doing. Verse 15 of John 6 says this, perceiving then that they, they as the masses, that's the 5,000 men plus women and children, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him, that's Jesus, by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what's happening in this moment is that Jesus' popularity is swelling. People have heard about him and what he's able to do. And now, maybe 10 or 15,000 people have been following him, men, women, and children. And they were hungry, and he took the small offering from this child and has now multiplied it. His disciples went out distributing all of these elements of these people were in groups of 50 and 100. This really happened. And people ate until they weren't hungry anymore. Think about that. They were satisfied, and there was more left over. The abundance of God being revealed through this person, Jesus, who's 100% man and 100% God. But the disciples didn't get it. They're the ones passing it out and picking it up. Chatter begins amongst those circles of people, those groups of 50 and 100. This man needs to be our king. This man needs to set us free from the Roman Empire, the oppressive rule that they have over us. He is our savior. He is the one who will lead us from underneath this heavy hand. And that momentum begin to catch up. And I believe it's why Jesus forced his disciples into the boat because I believe they were getting swelled up into that. 
They too really wanted Jesus to be something other than what he was. He wasn't going to be their earthly king. He wasn't going to be that kind of deliverer. He wasn't going to bring in that kind of kingdom. He was bringing in a kingdom that is an eternal spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that's gonna have impact even on this creation, but it's not the kind of king they were looking for. You see, it's very easy to be seated, even feeding from things from Jesus, even working for Jesus, and to still miss the point about his identity, who he really is, what he's really about. You can be in the church a long time and suddenly be consumed by something else that takes your eyes off of who Jesus says he is and what he's really about. It could even be a good thing, but that good thing causes you to see wrongly who he is. And as Mark moves through his gospel, he's gonna say over and over again to his disciples and to us, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. And so to protect his disciples from being swept up into that momentum and to protect himself from being forced by the crowds to take on that role, he forces, makes the disciples get into the boat and sends them across the Sea of Galilee. The word of God tells us, verse 45, immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. By the way, that's where he just, they had just come from there that day. So think about how tired they are. They've been on one side of the Sea of Galilee, now they're going to the other, and now they're going back. And then it says, while he, Dismiss the crowds. So the 12 get in a boat and they begin to move. Jesus himself stays there, dismisses the crowds. But what Mark records next is very important for us. Verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, the disciples and the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now Jesus was praying continually. Jesus had a perfect abiding relationship with the Father. He was truly praying without ceasing. But there are moments in Jesus' life where the gospel writers record specific times that he set aside to go and be alone with the Lord, and they're substantial. Mark records three of them. One of them is before he calls his disciples. There's this one, and then he's going to be alone again in the Garden of Gethsemane, the distance not too far from the disciples. Whenever Jesus was under an attack or facing a moment of, of, the, of the pressure of the crowd, of people really wanting him to be someone he wasn't meant to be or to have a kingdom that was not like the kingdom he came to initiate, Jesus would retreat away and alone. The text says, look with me again at verse 46. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. He went away. He got away from the crowd. He got away from his disciples. The second part of verse 47 says, and he was alone on the land. This was a pattern of Jesus' life to remember who he was and what he was called to do. To remember his identity and his mission. The pattern that Jesus gives us here is really important for us to see. So often when we're moving through our Bible reading, whether it's 
a Bible reading plan or a Bible study, it's so easy to move swiftly through it as if to check the box that I did that for the day. When we do that, we miss so many little things that are important to soak in, and this is one of them. Jesus felt the need, I believe the desperate need, to be alone with the Father, apart from everyone else, in order to remember who he is and what he's been called to do. And so he goes up on the mountain, away and alone. Our friend and remarkable theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, says this about this particular text, about Jesus praying. He says, how often we comment on this, this idea of Jesus leaving and being alone in prayer. How often we comment on this and hear sermons about it, yet how little we do for ourselves and others to put it into practice. Friends, if Jesus needed to be alone with the Father, to remember who he is and what God the Father called him to do, so do we. We need space in our life to move away. It doesn't have to be a mountain. It could be a closet. It could be your car. It could be your office. It could be in a park. Or it could be away, like at a retreat center or someone's cabin. But we need this as part of our life. It's not a regular part of many Christians' lives and it's hurting us. We need to get away. We need to get into a rhythm of being away daily, some part of the day. Jesus often rose early. That's not a mandate for you. You might be a night person, but you need to get away to hear the voice of the Lord through his word and spirit, to be reminded of who you are and the mission he's placed on your life. If you're, if you're single and your friends, your believers, you all should encourage one another to find space to do that. Invite each other to, to, on that journey together. If you're married, husbands, pray about how you could give this kind of time and space to your wife so she could get away alone to hear the voice of the Lord through his word and spirit. Wives, your husband needs it too. Pray the same. Talk about it together. But talking about it will not make it happen. Friday, there was a gentleman that I was meeting with in my office. His name's Nathaniel. He was actually here sitting where Pete Flowers is this, earlier this morning. And so in the middle of the sermon, I said, Nathaniel, Friday, we talked about you getting away and being alone. Raise your hand. He did. I said, you don't have to say anything, but I just want you to see how real this is. He said to me, I need to get away. I need to be alone with the Lord. I said, great. When are you going to do it? I said, let me know by Monday. Let me know that you've made a non-negotiable appointment 
to spend time alone with the Lord by Monday. You see, if we don't do that, what will happen is six months from now or a year from now, he's gonna say, I need to get away. And he will, but he'll be referring to the fact that he never did. Friends, it's not that hard to put it in our calendar. It's very hard to do it. And the reason it's hard to do it is because we have an enemy that wants to keep us constantly busy with constant noise. So we need to get away and we need to get alone. You can get away and still not be alone. And one of the ways we get away but don't stay alone is actually not because of another person, but because of the books and the podcast and the music that we might bring with us all good things that will fill our mind with good noise. Friends, we need to get away with the word of God and the Holy Spirit. That is enough. We need to practice what Jesus practiced in order for our body, mind, and soul to be reminded of who we are and the mission he's given us. This is what our Savior did, and it's good for us, and it's possible. Think about the ways you can help your brothers and sisters in Christ do this. Some of you have been in the same small group for years, maybe even decades, and that's never been something you've done. You brothers, sisters, will be so blessed by following this model of our Savior. You might say, but I don't have time. There's too much to do. Trust me, Jesus was busy. Thousands of people wanted him. And they wanted him to be somebody he wasn't sent to be. And he knew the most important thing he could do in that moment was to rise to the mountain, get away and be alone. So Jesus is alone on the mountain and he's praying, but he's also watching. The text tells us, verse 46, that after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land, verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So the fourth watch of the night is three to 6 a.m. So Jesus went up on the mountain in the evening, had sent the disciples onto the boat. Now, sometime between three and six in the morning, Jesus begins to move towards them. He's gonna move towards them by walking on the water. But before we get there, what did he see? Now, the Sea of Galilee is not that big. But the disciples, from the time they had set their boat into the water and began to row, the word tells us they were facing a strong headwind. That strong headwind allowed them only to make about three and a half miles. The sail is down, and these are professional sailors, some of them at least. The sail is down and they are rowing. And as they're rowing, they're doing everything they can to make progress. Jesus sees them. Now, we don't know if the sight that Jesus is talking about here is divine insight, or if he literally, in the darkness, because the moon is so full and the stars are so bright, he could see the boat. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. He, Jesus, 
knows they are not making ground. They're facing an incredible wind. Now, this is not something to miss. They were reluctant, but Jesus made them get in the boat. They got in the boat, which shows their obedience. In their obedience to go to Bethsaida, to the place where the Lord had called them to go, they were faithful, but the wind was so strong. I want you to picture the boat. 12 men who've been on boats many times are rowing, but the waves and the wind are so intense that they're making no ground. Now, you know the disciples would fight with each other. You know they would make judgments about one another. So you can imagine inside the boat that they're struggling with one another. I promise you one of them gave out first. His shoulders are exhausted. His hands are blistered. And I'm sure there was a comment made about one who wasn't able to keep up. But they've been at this now perhaps six hours, maybe even nine hours. Do you ever feel like that in your walk with the Lord? Do you ever feel like you're trying to advance and be obedient and grow but you are just hit with a headwind that is so hard. And so you row harder. You have friends rowing harder with you, but it is hard. In fact, there's moments where you're like, I think we just went backwards. People on a boat has always been a strong image of the church. That stained glass window and a number of other ones you can see boats. I mentioned that once and a child came up to me and said, you know, if you look at the roof of our sanctuary and you turned it upside down, it would look like we were in the bottom of a boat. The image of the people of God on a boat in which Christ is our captain on seas that at times can be really stormy is a powerful picture. The disciples were exhausted and Jesus sees them in August, the popular band Need to Breathe released a song called Mercy's Shore. The opening two lines of that song go this way. My arms are tired and weary. These wounds are on full display. As Jesus looked out at the disciples, whether it was with his human eye or his divine eye or a combination, he saw that their arms were weary. He saw that they were tired, but they were striving. They were seeking to be obedient. And so he moves towards them in a way that Jesus alone can do. Jesus comes down from the mountain to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he steps on it, not in it. I've got a picture of my wife that I keep on my iPhone and it's her standing in the Sea of Galilee, knee deep, arms open. The very place that the disciples were likely trying to get to is in the background of that picture. She's just there with her arms open. It's an amazing scene. It's the actual sea that Jesus walked on, on. He put his foot on the Sea of Galilee and it didn't sink. He moved across towards the disciples. 
The passage tells us that he intended to pass them by. Did you see that? It's an interesting phrase. Verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night, again, three to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. That's interesting. But he didn't because they saw him. There's something really significant happening here. In the Old Testament, there were times when there would be a, a visible manifestation of God. It was called a theophany, the burning bush, the, the smoking pot that went before Abraham. There are other moments when these visible manifestations took place. It's called a theophany, a manifestation of God in some visible form. Often it's spoken of that theophany as passing by. I believe that there's a connection here of, of Jesus who is the living God, self-consciously becoming a theophany as he's moving across the sea, something that only God can do. And there they see him. And when the disciples see him, they think it's a ghost and they're terrified. Do you know why? They weren't expecting him. They weren't expecting him to do something like that. They couldn't comprehend even the fact that he had split these loaves and fishes into so much food. They couldn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. And so they're scared. One of the reasons why I think this is connected to the Old Testament is because of what Jesus says. When Jesus sees their terror and their fear, he speaks to them. And what does he say? Take heart, it is I. That is the same exact language in the Old Testament Greek, translated from the Hebrew, of God saying, I am. So when the disciples hear the words of Jesus say, it is I, that connection that he's making to what God has spoken in the past and revealing himself is I am. It is I. And Jesus gets in the boat with them. How are you doing? In your desire to follow Jesus right now, in this very weary time, where the world, it's darkness and evil all around us, loved ones passing away and into glory. Where's God? It's tempting when our arms are weary and we're tired to assume that when we seek the face of God, his eyes are closed. He's distant and different. Friends, this picture of Jesus reveals the opposite. His eyes are open. He sees your struggle. He sees my struggle. And in his perfect wisdom, with his perfect power, with his perfect compassion and his perfect timing, he moves towards us as only God can. Sometimes waiting until we're at the end of ourselves. Sometimes waiting for the last person perhaps to drop the oar. Not saying that happened, 
but I think you get my point. They were not going to make it apart from Jesus. Jesus alone was who they needed. It's who you need too. And just as Jesus saw their struggle, he sees yours. And just as he moved towards them and gave them himself, he gives you himself. He never promised the sight of heaven to take away our pain, but he promised to give us himself. He never promised to heal every disease, the sight of heaven, but he promised to give us himself. Jesus gets in the boat and we're told that the disciples are utterly astounded. The parallel account from Matthew shows us that they're worshiping God. They're beginning to see more fully who he is. Yet Mark is clear to make this point, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Every one of us and every person ever created, and even those who come to faith in Christ, this side of heaven, are going to be prone at moments to having hard hearts where we just don't see Jesus for who he really is. We don't see him for the mission that he came to accomplish. We don't see him as a radical king ushering in a radical kingdom, and we want him to be something he's not. Today, if you're sitting here saying, I could never have a hard heart, you already do. None of us, this side of heaven, see perfectly. We are going to need constant mercy and grace for God to show us the error of our sight and show us the mercy to break that heart of stone. Friends, to be broken by God that you might see who he is is an incredible gift of his grace. A severe mercy, yes, but an incredible gift. So let's move to the final part. They make it to the shoreline. And when they get to the shore, what happens? Look at verse 54. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Where he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The problem is recognition. When Jesus and the 12 got off the boat, Ganer said, the people there saw him. And they recognized that it was the one who had been doing these miracles. And though they didn't recognize everything about Jesus, they knew Jesus alone could enable their crippled child to walk. That Jesus alone could cause their blind niece to see. That Jesus alone could cause the fever of a, of a mother to go away. And so when the people recognized Jesus coming up on Mercy Shore, they fled to return, bringing people 
on beds because Jesus alone was what they needed. So picture the scene. Children, sometimes I think you can see things better than we can. Picture this. Lots of women and men and children were being carried on beds, stretchers, by those who had recognized Jesus. And all they had to do was get close enough to touch the fringe of his robe, just a part of his robe. And then power went out from him and healed them. Children, what that means is that those people that were carried on stretchers, those people who were carried there by friends and family members, when they touched the fringe of that cloak, they were able to get off of that stretcher, off of that bed and walk. They were healed because Jesus alone could heal them. One of the signs that the church sees Jesus for who he is and what he seeks to do is when the church is passionate, when they recognize who he really is, to go get the sick, to go get the broken, to go get the dying, to go get the sinners and bring them to the one who alone, Jesus alone, who can meet their every need. In our lives together as believers, if we aren't eager to see the lost, the hurting, the dying, the broken, the hard-hearted come to faith in Christ, then there's something wrong with our vision of Christ. You see, but you don't see. Praise God that there's mercy because there's one last thing that Jesus alone can do. The feet that walked on that water are soon going to be pierced on a cross. Those eyes that saw out over the sea where the disciples were rowing and struggling are gonna have a crown of thorns pressed right above them. That robe or one like it that Jesus was wearing is gonna be stripped off of him. And a robe that's now purple is going to be placed on him that the soldiers might mock him. Those arms, those weary arms, are going to be spread across the cross. And his wounds are going to be seen. Because Jesus alone had that as his mission. That was who he was. That was what he was to accomplish. It's who he is. Jesus alone is the one who can save you. Jesus alone is the one who can reveal to you a hard heart. Jesus alone is the one who can reveal to you through the powerful work of his spirit that you see but don't see, and that that's going to be a struggle for you just as it is for me. And Jesus alone is the one who will say to you, even when your heart is hard, come to me.
Friends, discipleship is about following a person. It's about following Jesus alone. He is the person. This person's body was carried, I don't think on a stretcher or on a bed, but it was laid in a tomb. And three days later, that body, that man was resurrected. And right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, he's praying for you. Just think about that. The one who walked on the water, the one who fed those thousands, the one whose power was so great to heal that you just had to touch his cloak. He's praying for you because he knows it's hard and he knows the wind is against us. But in him, in the boat with him, we can hear his voice. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Father, as we come and close in a song, our eyes are going to be asked to fix upon the vision of you on the cross and all you accomplished. Father, so great was the burden that your son was carrying that the last time he moved away from the disciples but a short distance to be alone with you, he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but thy will be done. And it was your will to crush him that we who believe in Jesus alone for salvation can have fullness of life now and live forever with you in eternity. Friends, if you have never professed faith in Jesus, come to saving faith today. This invitation is given to you. Tell Christ that you are a sinner in need of a savior and that he alone can save you and trust in him. As you pray that prayer, tell somebody that you know is a believer in Christ. Email one of our pastors. We wanna help you walk with him. Lord, for those who have trusted in you already, humble us, give us praise, and give us a vision, your vision for who you are and your mission that we might bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.